good heavens, good job. What do you mean, arrested? I know. I, I think I got in too deep with the story. But I'm innocent, I swear. It, it, it could only have been a queen that killed that knight. Look, good job. I'll do what I can, but I, I can't promise anything. You and your production team have built up quite a notorious reputation over the years. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm just a journalist, man. Well, there was that one time you were accused of smashing up pots in Hyrule Market. Hey, that was that forest kid. We were cleared up from that. And the mess you caused at the Bannered Mare in Skyrim. Not, not to mention the attack on the Mage's College. That was that was that Dragonborn fellow. We we had nothing to do with. And you all that. were present at quite a lot of pizza murder scenes. Not to mention the temporal rifts you caused throughout season two, and I can't even begin to count how many IP infringements you flirted with. Like, do we even own the rights to Cher's turn back time? So, are you saying you can't do anything? No, I'm saying I'll do what I can, but that by now I would have expected you to know better. Fucking lawyers. Hello everyone, welcome to After the Plot, the podcast that brings you the stories you didn't know you didn't know. I'm your host, Good Job Lacey, and right now, things don't look so good for me. I had been on the board game for weeks, investigating the stories you didn't know you didn't know behind two classic games, chess and checkers. But I had apparently made some wrong turns, and trusted the wrong people. And now, here I was, in a holding cell for suspicion of murdering a knight. Not just any night, but Half-Yorg the Beige, one I had interviewed a few episodes ago. The law offices of Better, 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 and Better apparently weren't too keen about helping out either. Things were starting to look bleak. I didn't know how I was going to make bail, much less finish the story. Fortunately for me, someone else had other plans. Good job. You made bail. What? How? Who? who? <clears throat> hey there, good job. You? It was Detective Mills, the investigator who, in our episode on Cereal and Big Sugar, cracked the case on the death of Life Cereal's little Mikey. <sighs> I need your help. Now, the last time I paired up with Mills, things didn't go exactly as planned. My co-hosts and I ended up being mind-wiped and plane-shifted by the cookie wizard Jarvis. F- feel free to check that uh, episode out back in Season 1. But I wasn't exactly spoiled for options at the moment. I had to leverage Mills' request to the best of my ability. Fine, I'll help, but only under the condition that I can record the investigation and use parts for the podcast. Hmm. Only under the other condition that this is just the parts people already knew. Didn't know. Didn't know they didn't know. Deal. Back in Detective Mills' office, he explained what was happening and how I fit in. You see, this knight, Halfjord, wasn't the only chess piece who had been found murdered lately. In fact, there had been dozens of deaths in the past four months. And I'm not talking your run-of-the-mill bishop-takes-pawn violence. These have been something much worse. Mills had been on the case for two months now, and had a narrow list of persons of interest whom I had just happened to have interviewed in the last two episodes. 
you guys kind of dropped off the radar in the fall, and I was keeping an ear out for you. So, when I heard you on the radio last month, I knew you had the most up-to-date intel on most of the persons of interest. So Mills wanted to, with my help of course, dissect the profile of each suspect and approach them for questioning. First on the list was Half-Yorg's closest associate, Gartholomew the Brown. If you remember in part one of our series, these two knights ran a cheese kiosk at a farmer's market on the chessboard. Apparently, there had already been business disputes between the two, resulting in violence. Mills told me law enforcement had already been involved multiple times. I, I mean, when these two guys got into it, they wrecked shop. With all that two-over-one-up nonsense, the collateral damage they left behind, it was, it was just chaos. We caught up with Gartholomew on his dairy farm at the edge of the board. Ah, yes, detective. What can I do for you on this fine day? Gartholomew and Half-York owned an off-board platform and were farming whales in the ocean. You see, by farming whales, you can obtain a consistent, albeit small, supply of whale milk. With enough whale milk, you can make whale cheese. And with whale milk being some of the fattiest milk of all mammals, whale cheese is considered a luxurious delicacy in some parts of the board. And these two had cornered the market. They had all manner of whale cheese. Traditional breed-based cheeses like an Alaskan Orca Gouda, a Narwhal Mimalay, and a bottlenose Triple Cream Brie. I mean, these guys have a mink marscapone that'll it'll knock your socks off. Made a barrel-aged feta from thin whale milk. It's the best I ever had. We also carry a long-finned pilot provolone, a humpback halloumi, and our bestseller, the Blue Blue. But then I said to myself, Self, if you can make cheese from the whale, why can't you make whales from the cheese? So that's when we started genetically altering the whales to produce the specific cheese. Uh, we've bred cheddar whales, saganaki whales, American whales, string whales. I mean, these guys are breeding Swiss whales, Parmesan whales, and ricotta whales. Cantal whales, Morbier whales, Chaubier whales, the list goes on and on. We hit a marketing snag when we couldn't decide to go with sperm whale cheese or sperm whale cheese. But as for involvement in his business partner's murder, he was adamant he had nothing to do with it. Sure, I might have owed him some money, but I'd never stoop to murder. There is neither glory nor honor in that. It was probably one of those checker pieces not respecting the two dimensions of the board. Now, I've seen raiding parties at the edge of the board. You say that Hathjord was jumped? Well, who else would jump but a checker piece? Mills thanked Gartholomew the Brown for his time, and asked Garth to keep him in the loop if he planned on leaving town at all in the next few days, just to be safe. He didn't have anything to bring Gartholomew in on, so he moved down the list. The next game piece of interest was Mr. Rector, the Rook. The motivation? Religious differences resulting in a spillover of violence. You see, there's been... Sectarian violence between rooks and knights for since as long as I can remember. The cultural backgrounds between all chess and checker pieces overlap slightly. It's not a well-known fact, but all chess and checkerboards are technically part of the same board. But for the most part, 
the two types of game pieces, you know, they keep to themselves. However, within the game communities, there are also factions among pieces. You know, about the rift between bishops and rooks, the whole straight versus diagonal lifestyles? Sure. Well, between knights and rooks, it's a little more complicated. Rooks move in straight lines, and knights do the same thing, only they turn halfway through. Ah, so you're saying that some rooks view that as technically moving diagonally. Exactly. And Mr. Rector is somewhat of a religious zealot in the community. He's been preaching about purging anything that moves diagonally for several turns of the board now. I say murder? Now surely not. We and the knights might accomplish our goals differently over the course of a move, and there are some among the castle community who might find it acceptable to judge a piece based on his or her place in the game and the summation of actions and behaviors which were expected of them over the course of the game. But I strive to take the higher, I say the higher path. And while the resultant position of a knight might appear to us rooks as a diagonal in nature upon the exhaustion of their turn, I can tell you that this misperception pales, I said pales, in comparison when put up against the deliberately diagonal and disrespectful methods of movement of the pointy-headed, misguided zigzaggers. So, can you definitively tell me where you were the night of Half-Yorg the Bage's murder? Well, right here preaching the royal word administering my mastication to the open ear of other pieces willing to hear the good word. The only pieces I could even think would approach murder as a way to resolve a conflict would be a diagonally moving bishop or their distant cousins across yon board, the equally diabolical diagonal moving checker pieces. At this point, I found it interesting that two chess pieces seemed to think that one of their own could be taken down by a tiny checker piece. I mean, wouldn't the size difference alone prevent this? A full knight, as compared to a little disc of a checker piece? I wouldn't normally have thought of this being possible. But these days, who knows? We continue down the list. Next were the kings of chess. Their motivation? Sheer and utter boredom. I mean, when you're eating cucumber sandwiches all day, things can get pretty dull, pretty quick. Murder? Oh, good heavens. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> Certainly possible. But I mean, what can you expect? It's likely he just got too close to me. <laughs> we checked with Mickey the Bishop. Ah, to warn me, probably a checker piece, always trying to prove themselves. You know, we used to get along, checkers and bishops. Both have an affinity for moving diagonally. Legend has we both evolved in the same original piece. You see, that part, that part is true. W what part? You you understood any of that? Sure, I, I speak fluent bishop. He's talking about the theory of the first check. Legend has it that all checker pieces were descendants of a pawn and a bishop that married outside of their class. Their children inherited a little bit of both moves, resulting in pieces that can only move in one direction, but diagonally. Naturally, such crossbreeds weren't tolerated on the chessboard, and they were driven out. And, and that's how checkers started. You know, Mr. Goodjob, I don't care what anyone says. You are a pretty bright fellow. Thanks. I, uh, hey, wait a second. Who, who says that...
the last group of chess pieces on our list to speak with were the pawns. The motivation? Collateral damage in a gangle. Listen here, pal. A pawn taking down a knight in one night, there ain't no way in tarnation. Yeah, and even if a group of us decided to take down a knight, which we could do in a group, you better believe it, buddy. There's no way we would have made it out unscathed. And as you can clearly see, ain't a single one of us been scathed. More likely it was one of them slippery checker pieces. But they don't go into the white squares. Which is exactly why nobody would suspect them. See, we're playing 5D chess over here. Once again, we left the chess side of the board and ventured across the wastelands to the realm of checkers. I only had two more addresses to check, and I really hoped we wouldn't get to the last one. We checked with Jebediah Checker on the outskirts of town. You know, this guy's always going on about get off my lawn, and everybody knows a knight will get where he is going no matter what is in his way. Murder in a chess piece? Why in tarnation would you ever want to move so much at once? I don't even reckon I could move that much if I wanted to. I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of their own kind. Pick two! Chaotic chess piece indeed. And that left only one piece. One piece that Mills hadn't been able to find since the last murder, where I had been framed and set up to take the fall for the brutal killing of Halfjorg the Beige. This piece was the Eldar piece. But it wasn't him that we spoke to, at least not at first, but rather his wife, Cuberta, who actually reached out to us. Look, I wasn't expecting him to vanish, but... But what? There's a part you don't know. A part you don't even know you don't know. Ooh. You see, he, well, he talked me into it. And, and what we were going to use Mr. Goodjob here is bait. To trap a queen. You what? It was an opportunity he couldn't pass up. The queens, they they love to prey on the weak. And when Mr. Goodjob here came by, well, I mean, look at him. Sure, but still. Hang on. Anyway, Fred, that's the Eldar piece's first name, by the way. Short for Fredith and Anthony. He had been dabbling in many different games recently. Always looking for more moves, more abilities, more power. He had learned to castle. I mean, I'd never castle. And I've even got a friend that's a rook. He'd also been hoarding mana for quite some time. A resource not even found on the board. Not only your blue and green mana, but I'm talking swamps, plains, even a few mountains. And that two-timing, no-good, wise-ass, double-cross me. I turned to look at Mills who by now was white as Look, a sheet. I, I understand you're angry, but I don't think you appreciate the severity of this. Queens are the most powerful pieces out there. Historically, they only work alone. And that's really the only thing that keeps them from overpowering everything. The Eldar piece is also the first king of checkers. If he's able to combine his power with hers, if he truly has captured a queen, has the power to use her to kill other pieces. There's only one place that they could possibly be hiding. And that was the Underboard.
We headed north out of town until we came to a dense forest of chutes and ladders. As we began navigating the twists and turns, our sense of direction became distorted, and pretty soon I could tell that we were walking on the underside of the board. It wasn't long until we came across the first few denizens of this underworld. At first, they seemed just like your ordinary chess or checker pieces, but it became evident that being taken in a game and committed to this off-board world changes you, leaving you only a piece of your former self. The topography of the underboard was not necessarily difficult to navigate, but the knowledge of being on the underside of the board just left me feeling a little uneasy. If the Eldar piece is trying to hide with a captured queen, he'll need somewhere to blend in. As we drove on, a twinge of apprehension began to creep up my spine. Hey, good job. You've got something creeping up your back. It is my twinge of apprehension. Uh, uh, oh. The landscape became more otherworldly. Vivid colors shrank back into muted tones of hazy gray. Any pieces we passed no longer met our gaze, but rather stared off into the middle distance they shuffled about their business. It was as if the very life was being sucked out of the air. I felt uncomfortable with the fact that somebody would willingly come here to hide. The air itself seemed dead. Suddenly we came around a bend and saw a faint red glow in the distance. That's gotta be him. As we drew closer, the area became choked with crumbling warehouse buildings, and we had to adjust our path to navigate between them. The closer we got, the more intense and vivid the faint red glow became, eventually growing to a shock of scarlet mist that reached out and seemed to grab onto the very fabric of reality around it. Around the corner, we came to what had to be the Eldar Pieces lair. Slick black scaling had enveloped the majority of a warehouse in an oily fractal pattern. The red mist was nearly lightning manifest by now, and a shadowy figure stood between us and the door. That's gotta be him. We stopped the car and slowly got out. Mills drew his service pistol, I just drew some conclusions. If the Eldar piece was standing there, ready to confront us, it meant he either knew he could no longer hide and wanted to turn himself in, unlikely, or he knew he could no longer hide and was ready to confront us. You never should have come here. What? I thought the Eldar piece was a guy. The cloaked figure threw back their hood and I realized we had made a terrible mistake. It wasn't the Eldar piece. It was a chess queen. Shadows in her skin swirled like thunder clouds in a tempest, and her eyes were solid coal black pools that threatened to draw you in. I quickly averted my gaze. She kicked at a box, sending it sliding across the ground to rest at our feet. You shouldn't have come. At first, you were just a meddling journalist. But then, you went and brought the law into this. Mills nudged the box with his toe. The cardboard was soggy. Where's the Eldar piece? What's in the box? Oh, this? Merely a warning. An illustration of what happens to those who cross my path. What's in the box? I slowly knelt and carefully flipped open one panel of the box to come face to face with the dead, rotting head of the Eldar piece. It was then that I knew this was my battle. This was the fight I had been training years for. 
This would be the contest which would test my very limits, and would be the epic fight scene that would capture the essence of this episode. I knew I had to do this. I began walking towards the queen. What are you doing? You'll be killed! Don't worry. I've got this. Oh, crap, good job. Look out! You definitely don't have this. What are you, quit it. You can't go in there. You don't understand. You're getting in over your head. They don't, they're not going to spare you. They know where your wife is. Queen to A2. Journalist to C6. Queen to C3. Journalist to F2. As I closed in on the queen, it began to seem clear that I would soon have her in check, and perhaps even checkmate. I thought of the two pieces I'd recently met who were killed by the queen. Hopefully I could help bring her to justice. But just as I closed in for the checking blow, the queen changed the rules. She leapt over my head to an adjacent square as nimbly as a checker piece might. Thinking quickly, I drew three X's and connected them. With my new weapon, I spun around just in time to catch her claws before they raked across my face. Ha! Three in a row! The queen snarled in frustration before reaching out with her other hand. Got any threes? The three in a row of X's flew out of my hand and into the queen's. As she swept at my head, I dodged the blow and darted in, ready to deliver the renowned slap, which I'd recently learned from the slapjack. The queen staggered back from my attack, but readied her own before I had time to move. Go to jail! Go directly to jail! Do not pass! Go! Do not go to those! It was the litany of Monopoly Jail, a nearly unbreakable spell that would soon have me incapacitated. My feet began to move with a mind of their own, taking me to my own personal prison, from which I would never escape. I thought of the only move I could. Red light! The incantation from the old schoolyard game stopped my own feet in their tracks, and while I was still in the fight, I was stuck to the spot. The terrifying shape of the queen bounded towards me, ready to take my head off. There wasn't anything I could do. If I stayed where I was, I was done for. If I released the incantation by saying green light, then my feet would take over and I wouldn't have any control over my actions. Hey, good job, King me. Suddenly, I leapt off the ground, performing a front flip in midair and landed squarely atop the shoulders of Detective Mills. The queen faltered momentarily at this new change in the fight, but quickly turned towards us. Mills fumbled in his jacket pocket. Here, take this. He found what he was looking for and tossed the small card up to me. I quickly caught it and brought it up to see what it was. The queen was nearly upon us. As she came in for the killing blow, I turned the Uno card outward, revealing the face of the reverse card towards her. In a blinding flash of light, the queen's powers were turned upon herself. A maelstrom of fire engulfed her as she felt the full force of all her collected powers. Pairs were laid down, pegs were jumped, tic-tacs were towed, an actual tail was pinned on an actual donkey. Before we knew it, all that was left on the ground was a smoldering pile of ash. I climbed down off Mills to assess the damage. She's gone. Indeed. I guess it was a lucky thing I hadn't yet turned in that Uno card as evidence. So, we won? 
For now, I'd say yes. But always two there are. No more, no less. A master and an apprentice. But which one was destroyed? The master or the apprentice? Well, I'd say that about wraps it up. Uh, this is going to be the final episode of After the Plot, for now. Life has continued to move on, and it's time for me and the crew to begin working on new ventures. If you've been here to listen to all 19 episodes, I've been very glad to have you along for the journey, uh, and it's been a lot of fun putting together the stories you didn't know you didn't know. I truly hope you've enjoyed listening. I will be taking a break for a while, working on some new projects I have in the works, uh, this includes a couple of short stories, some uh, futuristic science fiction stuff, uh, and a novel that I actually wrote before the days of Final Plank Media. I hope to adapt these stories to podcast format and bring them to you in the near future. Nolan and I also have a few other stories you didn't know you didn't know that uh, might hopefully see the light of day someday. In the meantime, if you like what you've heard here on After the Plot, check out all the other content we have at Final Plank Media. The Good Better Quest crew is still producing new episodes of their adventures in the world of Dungeons & Dragons, so be sure to go check out Season 4 of their show. We've also got some archive episodes of Versus And, a nerdy roundup show where Nolan, David, and I goof around for an hour, you, you know the drill, as well as Martial Parts, a podcast that revolves around the similarities and differences in Eastern and Western fighting styles. So feel free to go check out all those other episodes. Also, remember to stay in touch with us on Instagram and Twitter, both at Final Plank. I have been your host, Good Job Lacey, and I'll see you soon. After the Plot was produced by Brent and Nolan Lacey. Additional talent was provided by David Hallman and Tanvi Takur, edited by Brent Lacey. Our theme music was composed by Jared Bookbinder. Additional music provided by Kevin McLeod. Sound effects were provided courtesy of freesound.org. After the Plot is a production of Final Plank Media.